Welcome to Individuality Unleashed. I'm Vern Trimble, Senior Director of Marketing at Wonderkent, and I'm joined today with Richard Jones to have a really great conversation about D2C brands. Great to be here, Vern. Great to be here. We are here in beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, the altitude where like, what, 7,000 feet above sea level, tough to breathe, but like I'm trying. It is easy to breathe if you've been in Colorado for five and a half years like me. I have not. <laughs> so if I end up on the floor, like, please try to resuscitate. No, you know what? Don't try to resuscitate me. I'll be fine on the floor. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> well, guys, today we're going to be talking about D2C brands, uh, traditional versus digital brands. We're going to talk about the evolution of D2C brands, what they've gone through, some of the strategies that they've had to deploy over the years in order to sustain themselves during the pandemic and now with this uh, the impending challenges that we're facing with recession. Right. And so we really want to just dive into this topic. It's, a, it's really important. We know, Rich, you're a wealth of knowledge, and we want to just get your take on, on this topic to really help our listeners and viewers out there understand how they could deploy some of these strategies to empower themselves as D2C brands themselves. Let's do it. Let's dig in. Great, great. So let's start with this. So a few years ago, D2C brands were technically the disruptors. Right. They essentially figured out the playbook by understanding what gap there was in the market, understanding how to position and market a new product that wasn't available before, cutting out the middleman, essentially, and selling direct to consumers, which was unthinkable at the time. And it was certainly a strategy that e-commerce brands used a lot of, but now you have a lot of traditional brands that are using that same strategy. Um, you know, with this new playbook in place, are is this strategy still relevant as we think about how brands are maturing and handling the, the changing landscape and marketing today? I mean, it's relevant, but the playbook will only take you so far. I mean, most of the big brands are now getting in on the action and the disruptors are becoming the disrupted. So it's interesting to look at what's going on. So what do you mean by that exactly? Well, look, we can split the D2C market into two camps, right? Digital natives and traditional brands. Digital natives emerged in 2010 or later and started off selling their products directly to consumers through e-commerce channels, as we know. They were very clever at using super-targeted digital marketing campaigns to drive awareness and customer acquisition um, and poaching market share away from bigger brands, right? We saw that in multiple different segments. Traditional brands definitely are the incumbents, but they are catching up fast because of this disruption and increasingly adopting their own D2C strategies. More than 30% of the revenues at brands like Nike and Adidas come from D2C sales net right now, which is phenomenal considering where they were just a few years ago. That is really amazing. So can you talk to us about how the D2C space is evolving and how the two types of D2C businesses, the digital natives versus the traditional brands are navigating these changes? Yeah, well, overall, the D2C space is still seeing absolutely huge growth, right? In the US, D2C e-commerce sales have more than tripled in the past six years. According to a report by eMarketer, the D2C market has grown from around $36 billion in 2016 to 128 billion dollars in 2021, which is an increase of almost uh, 100 billion in just over half a decade. Now, the DTC market is expected to be worth just over 212 billion dollars by the end of 2024. So well, this is, a, this is nuts. This is a big opportunity. Huge opportunity. You have to be able to move to be able to take advantage of this, though. Exactly. Exactly. Now, so what do you think about growth? How is that differentiated? Yeah, well, I mean, growth will be different for the two camps, um, for sure, right? We expect to see DTC e-commerce sales of traditional brands increase 
by about 22.6% in 2022, whereas digital natives will grow by 17.5%. Basically, established brands are beating digital natives at their own game at the moment, and they now account for nearly three quarters of the US D2C e-commerce market. So the disruptors really have been disrupted. So at, the, at the moment, that's what it was looking at. So, so tell me about the market conditions right now. What do you see? Well, the market conditions are tough, right, for almost everybody, as we as we all know at the moment. And many disruptor D2C brands made headlines recently by laying off staff. Now, the figures forecasting growth sound promising, but with talks of recession and inflation that we covered on a recent podcast, consumers are becoming more cautious in how they spend their money, and D2C brands are feeling the pinch too. But D2C is a great opportunity, especially in a recession, and especially if you already have a strong brand and loyal customers. You know, you you mentioned how brands like Nike, we say Nike in the States. <laughs> Nike. And we invented the English language. <laughs> that's true. And Adidas, Adidas, <laughs> are doubling down on D2C now. Why is D2C such a great opportunity for large companies and how are they leveraging it? Well, D2C revenues drive higher margins, right? I mean, which is a key reason why brands uh, are focusing more on D2C now. And that's big traditional brands. Um, in fact, uh, Nike <laughs> said it's direct to consumer sales helped compensate for the decline in its wholesale business early on in the pandemic. So massive, massive uh, benefit. Now Nike and other big companies like Tesla are experiencing much faster growth, about 23% this year in D2C e-commerce sales compared to disruptors. This is a knock-on effect um, on on other businesses in other ecosystems. For example, in February, Foot Locker's stock dropped by 35% after Nike announced it would focus more on D2C. So although not really first mover advantage, it kind of was for this traditional, for these traditional exactly, brands. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Now on the flip side of the coin, digital natives are now reaching maturity, right? And there are a place where they need to explore more traditional strategies for growth if they want to still scale. Now without the built-in scale of mass retailers, they need to work harder to drive awareness and sales. Now there used to be an expression, CAC is the new rent. Now, D2C brands are realizing the value of bricks and mortar. That's probably why the D2C cosmetics brand, Glossier, Glossier recently partnered up with Sephora to sell its products in stores. And we're seeing more and more of those kind of relationships happen across in, across the industry. You know, I, I really, it just goes with, it's like an understatement to say that this is super interesting. It's just amazing to kind of see this landscape and this transformation happen. Like what kind of growth strategies should D2C companies be looking at and deploying right now? You know, the, the traditional uh, playbook for D2C was very much based on using digital advertising, right? Mm-hmm. So mainly search, social media, and influencer marketing to reach highly targeted uh, audiences. Now, D2C brands were great at using data to measure and optimize their campaigns. Even today, Facebook and Instagram are the top acquisition channels for, for the majority of DC brands. Right. But this approach is becoming less and less effective. Apple and Google, um, among others, have responded to consumer privacy concerns and their data uh, privacy legislation. Apple's app tracking transparency, the ATT initiative, and Google announcing the end of third-party cookie tracking makes it harder for D2C brands to track the performance of their online ads. And at the same time, acquisition costs via you know, social media uh, advertising are rising uh, fast. So basically, brands are getting less and less bang 
for their buck following that traditional D2C playbook. Yeah, so using the old playbook will cost you more, less visibility, less clarity right. as to how you're driving revenue and driving success. Right. So what does that mean for D2C brands? Well, I mean, it means that D2C brands will need to leverage um, their own channels, right? Yeah. That's going to be the differentiator, particularly email and text, especially in an economic downturn. Blowing through your budget with online ads that show dwindling returns yeah. It just isn't sustainable right. in, in an economy uh, as tough as this. That's where Wonderkin can actually help. So if you're spending uh, money on sending traffic to your site, uh, then you need to have a strategy in place to uh, identify that traffic uh, and to remarket to them. Ad ideally via your own channels, not spending even more money on ads, right? So D2C brands use Wonderkin to identify and engage with their site visitors, turning anonymous website traffic into real customers who make real sales. I mean, this means a lot though. Being able to deploy a strategy like that ultimately helps drive and gives marketers the ability to drive customized one-to-one -one messaging to people that want to feel like individuals. That yeah, want, 100%. Yeah. You know, customers these days, they expect one-to-one -one communication and tailored experiences and privacy, right? right. That's really hard to, to triangulate. Now, Wonderkid actually makes that a reality mm -hmm. uh, through email, text, identity, and the brand's website alongside any of their existing MarTech platforms. Now, how we do it, Wonderkid is a performance marketing channel right. at its core, right? And it drives between 11 to 15% additional e-commerce revenue. Wonderkin's technology actually helps brands convert customers through the channels that they own at scale that wouldn't otherwise be possible um, uh, and even, you know, rivals paid media. In fact, in many of our customers, you can sort of rank where Wonderkin performs as a proportion of the digital rev revenue based on last click attribution alongside all of your traditional uh, uh, channels like Facebook, Google, and others. Yeah. So it sounds like, it sounds like own channel marketing, whether you're a traditional or a digital D2C brand, is going to be what kind of sustains you through this through the challenging times that are coming up. Yeah, I think in many ways it's about making um, efficiency gains mm -hmm. on the poorest performing segment of your advertising yeah. and making that efficiency gain through making the rest of, of putting a little bit of budget away for folks like Wonderkin who actually make the, the traffic that you're driving to your own channels perform that much better and actually end up in revenue. That's really the secret source. That's awesome. That takes a, a big shift though in your strategy. I know we're yeah, definitely. Look, look, I mean, you need to grow your opt-in lists, right? Right to track to scale your email and text campaigns. Right, that's absolutely key if you're going to make the most of your own channels. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Wonderkin is the only channel agnostic uh, partner that can help you scale opt-ins and performance for text and email together. Right at the same time, many often often customers are using this as in diff different kind of siloed channels, and they they're somewhat kind of cannibalizing each other. Mm -hmm. Now, we basically wrote the the playbook on how and when to ask for an opt-in on your website. Right? That's something that we pioneered. Um, combined with the marketer's most advanced behavioral uh, personalization technology, you get an undisruptive uh, user experience that enables brands to quickly scale their email lists, which can help you drive online sales and customer loyalty in a sustainable way. So sustainable growth is absolutely critical right. during this economic downturn with these challenges that we're facing. And it's critical that you leverage a technology like Wonderkin, which is essentially a performance marketing channel right. that gives you that ability to understand, attribute that success, drive revenue that you may not have been able to see before because yeah, you, didn't you couldn't have, identify the people. Couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. And now to be able to, to use that to be able to understand what your strategy is and what success could mean in the future. 
Another thing that we're also noticing is that D2C brands may be even considering their reliance on social media channels as well, not only the paid channels like Google and Facebook. Uh, So when it comes to measuring businesses, your business and marketing performance in a recession or market downturn, what kind of KPIs should D2C brands be looking at? Well, customer lifetime value is absolutely key. Mm. So more and more thought leaders and uh, retail investors are moving away from overly simplified uh, financial KPIs and are starting to develop new frameworks Mm -hmm. based on contribution margin and CLV, customer lifetime value. Now, the the D2C space is experiencing somewhat of a wake-up call at the moment in this regard. Some brands have multi-billion dollar valuations, but the rising costs of marketing and customer acquisition are making investors question profitability. Now, this is an issue that happens when leadership teams prioritize sales growth um, while neglecting profitability and CLV. Mm -hmm. CLV considers every unique customer's net value uh, and future potential, right? Taking into account the total cost of goods, fulfillment, and delivery from each transaction. I think D2C profitability will become more vital. And as margins get tighter, brands will need to set up uh, and rethink how they measure success. Optimizing operational and marketing efficiency is what will separate the consumer brands of tomorrow from the D2C one-hit wonders that are out there. That's that's phenomenal, Rich. This is so good. So, so to sum up, digital disruptors may have pioneered the D2C playbook, but big brands are catching up. Yeah, that's yeah. completely right. That's it. That's that's the takeaway here. And the new media value chain is a chance for traditional brands to cut the middleman out to boost their own profit margins and connect directly uh, with their customers. Un- understandably, um, they're doubling down on that opportunity. I mean, who wouldn't? We're seeing uh, we're seeing many many brands do that. Now, the main challenge for smaller digital native D2C brands right now is to manage the transition from disruptor to mature mainstream brands that can actually scale. And for both types of D2C business, driving sustainable growth is going to be absolutely key, which is where Wonderkin as a performance marketing channel can help. This is phenomenal, Rich. I think, you know, this is such a relevant topic. I think, you know, we did talk a lot about Wonderkin, but I think it's really important that we we had to, we hit on what we do here at Wonderkin. We, we are a performance marketing channel. We are here to help right. our customers and other brands drive sustainable growth during what will be challenging economic times. So being able to do that with a performance marketing channel that you can guarantee attributed revenue, that you can guarantee growth, is it's just like a no-brainer. 100%. It's like a complete no-brainer. So one of the things that we want to do for our audience is to make sure that they realize that we're a source of information and knowledge and truth that you can download uh, tons of our content, whether it be a white paper, uh, check out some of our impact stories, but also go to our website and ask for uh, a revenue estimate. Just like it's the quickest way. Exactly. I mean, the whole point of, of pioneering revenue as a service, which is right at the heart of what Wonderkin does, is that we're actually, we'll, you know, we'll talk to you, we'll, have, we'll understand your business a little bit more, and then we will make you a guarantee of a revenue increase that we're going to meet if you partner with us. So, you know, many software as a service vendor out there will tell you, hey, buy my stuff, my, my software is great, and here's yeah. some services to sort of implement it, and good luck. Right. That's not what we do. It's revenue as a service. We put our money where our mouth is, and we actually have contractual guarantees of minimum uh, levels of revenue uplift. And I think that's phenomenal. Like, I don't know of any other... I, I, mean, I think all SaaS 
all SaaS companies should do it if they're bold enough to put their money where their mouth is. You got to be bold to do it. Mm-hmm. And, one, and if you guys haven't heard, please check out episode number one that talks about revenue as a service versus SaaS, uh, software as a service. Richard gives a great explanation of that. He really orients us around the space and really understanding what that concept is. Check it out. It's available now anywhere you uh, find your podcast. So uh, Rich, phenomenal being in person with you here in Santa Fe. It's absolutely gorgeous here. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. No, Vaughn, it's been a pleasure as always. Absolutely. Again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. That's Individuality Unleashed. As always, Rich, an absolute pleasure sitting down, chatting with you uh, here on this podcast that we hope is bringing tons of valuable insight to you at home and listening in your car or on podcast or wherever you're listening to us. Uh, we hope that was a mess. Let me, I tried to, I tried to bring it back together. I almost got out of it, but I was like, ah. Rich. <laughs>